Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Hello, everybody. I'm Visibly Riley, and welcome to a special episode of Countercharge. Very special. I'm Steve Hildrew. Welcome, everybody. I am super excited um, today to welcome one of my kind of my Kings of War heroes, Visibly Riley, to the show. Um, famous, wildly famous due to his runaway, tearaway success YouTube channel, uh, where he reports with terrifying regularity on his battle reports that he does uh, in Games of Kings of War. Riley, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, man. I think we're very, very overdue in having you on, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> excessively yeah, overdue. Yeah. So um, we're just going to, you know, talk about the world according to Visibly Riley today and uh, give him a little bit of a, a platform for some of his uh, extreme views on... Uh, <laughs> on king of war but first of all let's talk let's have a little hobby update what have you been what have you been working on how is lockdown over there in seattle uh yeah lockdown out here in seattle has obviously been long uh it was the first place confirmed infected in the united states so we've been down for quite some time but uh yeah i've I've been working mainly on terrain i've I've finished up a couple tables worth of terrain except for some of the stuff that hasn't arrived just yet due to some uh, postage problems in the united states but uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I've been pushing. Yeah, exactly. I've been I've been pushing through that stuff. Uh, I've done a few passion projects where I've just been, you know, painting as long on a model as I want to, rather than having a goal in mind, right? Having to finish yeah. a unit or whatever. But yeah, that's that's about it. It's it's you know, hobby as usual. So tell us tell us about your passion projects. I'm interested to to what what are your passion projects? What have you been doing? Uh, well, I, I, I like to play a lot of games besides Kings of War, except that's the only one I report on, but, uh, I paint models for Infinity. Uh, I love, I love their sculpts. They're really interesting, really intricate. I've been doing a bust that I bought a, a long time ago, uh, and just never got around to painting. I haven't painted anything that large and 3D, uh, ever. So I've been doing some of that and I've been painting ghouls, just the Games Workshop ghouls for like, Four hours a model, so that, yeah, stuff like that. Four hours a model for for wow, that is definitely yeah. going heavy. I'd like to see. I I do like a bust, so to speak, um, mm. pun intended. I do too. Um, <laughs> do you, do you post your stuff anywhere? Is there anywhere we can see some of this? These kind of these painting, or are they just for you? Are you just kind of taking taking your time just for yourself? Yeah, they're they're mostly just for me. I I do ha- I used to have a website when I did commission painting, but uh, not not so much anymore. Awesome. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about some of that stuff in a minute. Uh, from my side, actually, it's weirdly, that's kind of exactly what I've been doing. So I finished, I finished my Twilight Ken Army completely, uh, and, and again, like yourself, it's a one that I just took took time on because I didn't have any reason to paint it. I'm not proposing to go to any tournaments probably until next year uh, at mm-hmm. this point. Although I'm potentially running one in October, which is slightly worrying. And so I finished off my Twilight Ken Army. And I got it to a standard which was, you know, I thought was pretty good for me. And then, but because I got this tournament running. I realized that I needed, uh, we downgraded it from 24 to 18 players just because of uh, space restrictions and, and uh, distancing and stuff because lockdown is, is easing here, although it may go back up. 
So I realized I only needed, um, rather than 12, I needed nine tables, but only had five tables worth of terrain. So I've been, you know, I was doing spray foam hills and uh, some bits of difficult terrain and just experimenting and having some fun. I posted up a thing about um, difficult terrain, uh, like uh, not like hills, but just normal difficult terrain, because I think yeah. I, I I've not seen many examples of it. And there's a couple of really cool things. So I tried what some of the stuff that someone suggested. Someone suggested getting some like some transparent plastic and then just kind of putting like grass on it to make a swamp and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I tried that and it. And I'm going to be honest, it it looks all right, but it's <laughs> it's not kind of like it's not what I consider kind of tournament level terrain. But it's okay, you know. It'll probably it'll it'll do, right? It'll do, yeah. It'll do. So that's that's where I've been. That's where I've been kind of. Excellent. And to be honest, I've kind of lost my hobby mojo heavily. Having, mm-hmm. you know, when you finish a whole army, you're just like, oh, I really don't want to paint anything right now. So that's uh, kind of where I'm, <laughs> I'm playing a lot of PS4 instead. I'm just like, I don't want to paint yeah. any more miniatures. Yeah, I get that. It's it's actually a lot easier for me after I finish an army to just do anything else with painting. Just like you know, paint one model or just com- completely switch gears, go for like sci-fi or like I said, paint a bust, paint terrain, do anything that is not an army again yeah i kind of want to because i used to do painting painting like on canvases painting so i, I kind of want to get back to that although my daughter is going to art school so she's stolen all my oil paints so wow. <laughs> i need to maybe get some more <laughs> but i did i i i had a resin like a big ent kind of model from a kickstarter that i painted up for a tree herder just to see if i could get my mojo back and let me tell you i could not get my mojo back <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I, I did finish it though so that's that done that's good anyway so um into kind of what we wanted to talk about today, which is who is who is visibly Riley? Who is the mystery man from Seattle? Well, you know, first of all, you know, where does the name come from? Uh, yeah, my well, my name is Riley. That's step one of it. Okay, but uh, <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> if you if you look up Riley in the dictionary, it just means like visibly, or it means like upset or angry. And right. uh, you might have noticed that if you watch my channel that I rant a lot. So uh, no. I just went like, well, that's <laughs> kind of my base mode. So uh, I wanted to work my own name into it. So I went with Visibly Riley. Awesome. So, let, let, I, you know, to be honest, although that you say that, I've never noticed you're not like an angry person. You're more kind of like, you're, you're <laughs> like, you're so chill. You're like, well, you know, this really annoys me, but I don't really care that much kind of person. Uh, it's, it's more like Visibly slightly miffed. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I would say that, like, it's it's interesting the difference between, like, your, your personality when you're making a video or when you're doing a podcast or whatever versus the way you are in person, right? Like, you have to consider uh, how you're speaking and what you're talking about and the way that you present yourself, right? Because you're kind of selling yourself as a product. So you sort of smooth off a few of those edges, even if that's the point. Right. Okay. Yeah. I get that. Um, I, I've never quite mastered that. I just kind of, I'm all out there. <laughs> I'm always just all out there. Everything's out there. Mm. It gets me into trouble sometimes, but uh, there you go. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, where are you from originally? Where do you play? And uh, tell us about how you got into wargaming. Okay. I'm, I'm from Virginia, which is on the East Coast of the United States. I'm from Virginia Beach, uh, but I've lived in Seattle the longest in my life. I've lived all over the United States and I've lived or have not lived, but uh, visited every continent on the planet. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I definitely got, uh, got started into wargaming oof, a long time ago at this point. Uh, I was, uh, I think like 11 or 12 
and a friend of mine was playing a historical game and was like oh do you want to do you want to try this out and was like using plaster molds to make tiny buildings and i was like oh that's interesting and i kind of got into that uh and then they swapped over to what a lot of people do which is warhammer 40k which i played through my adolescence from Mm -hmm. my junior high to high school years uh off and on but i wasn't really into war games until I left high school um, and had uh, graduated from my junior college. So I had my two-year degree uh, and right, right around when I was like 17. And I ended up going into a game store and they were like, have you seen this game Warhammer? And I picked up the rule book, went home that night, played it with one of my friends. I was like, why did we ever play any of these other games? Right. Like the second I got into that rank and flank sort of uh, frontages and just the difficulty and movement, I was hooked. I was 100 percent behind it. So that's about how Um, competitively I didn't really I'm not a big tournament player. I used to be when I was younger, highly competitive, really into that. Like, you know, how do I win at this game? How do I be the very best? Like no one ever was. Uh, but uh, I, I kind of grew out of that as I realized I don't have the the money really to travel to big events, so I never really got to uh, to push myself in that way. And you know, eventually you grow older and you grow out of it, or you don't. But I did. Would that be like sixth edition Warhammer you started in? I guess. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I actually remember specifically it was the the White Dwarf came out with Tomb Kings in it. And I was like, those look so cool that I have to go check out this game. <laughs> uh, I waited a little bit to actually get into it, and I bought into Goblins instead. But I I, I was like, yeah, I, I have to see this thing. I loved all the terrain and the way that the units looked like a unit, right, rather than just a hodgepodge of random individuals placed right. together. Yeah, and, so, and your love for, for, I suppose, for Tomb Kings or Empire of Dust has carried on to the present <laughs> day, right? You're still in that sandy that sandy oasis. Oh, yeah, that's definitely love that I have for them. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So you mentioned a couple of the games you play. So you're still playing uh, those games now. What other play- games do you play? Do you play any 40K? Are you looking at ninth or anything like that? I, I don't. I don't like the direction 40K has taken since... Uh, I don't know what edition it was. I think it's 6th edition that they decided to add allies in. I don't think allies are good for any game system. And specifically, 40K's use of it is sort of the the most egregious example of why it goes wrong, where you're using lore reasons for allies rather than mechanical reasons, but it impacts mechanics. So, you know, you get uh, Imperials can ally with anyone, but then Tau can't ally with anyone. And you're like, what is this? But yeah, so I'm not I'm not really into it anymore. Um, but I do play quite a few games. I, I dabble in Age of Sigmar, uh, it, as just, uh, for fun. As I said before, I'm painting ghouls forever. Uh, <laughs> I like, I like playing Shadespire. I think that's a great game. Uh, Warcry and Blood Bowl is one of my favorite games of all time. I play it all the time. I absolutely adore Blood Bowl. Um, but yeah, and I used to play War Machine competitively until the, the current edition of it. I kind of stopped then. But otherwise, uh, games I currently play are, yeah, like uh, Warcry and, and, and Shadespire small skirmish games and then Infinity, which uh, pairs well with Kings of War just because Infinity is so complex of a game and Kings of War just isn't, right? That like they, they occupy the same brain space without overriding each other. Right, so there's no confusion going on. I, I've played a bit of Shadespire. My wife, um, in my constant attempts to get her to play games with me, she bought me a copy of Shadespire. We played a bit, and I think I pretty quickly realized, because it's a deck-building game uh, mm-hmm. at its heart, right? And you have to, it means you have to buy 
and buy and buy and buy to actually be any good at the game, right? If you're going to play it outside of your own house. So we, we played a couple of times, but never beyond the kind of starter game. But I like the concept of it, that kind of sh- that short, yeah. short span kind of like, it's more like a board game, isn't it? Rather than a... a... Yeah, definitely. It's it's kind of what I, I love card games too. So like the fact that it's a deck builder uh, doesn't bug me too much, especially because uh, my, my main job is working for a marketing firm. So I have high-end printers where we can put card stock in. We just print oh, the cards out. I see. <laughs> I see. Yeah, yeah I just see. cut out the middleman. <laughs> let's, let's steal from the multi-million pound company why not i do listen they put those images out there it's not stealing no exactly Pers- right just personal them. use personal use. <laughs> so what's your local gaming scene look like i know a lot of the games you're playing at minute are in people's houses and there's a couple of people you played you know repetitively over the years but what's the kind of landscape for fantasy gaming look like in your area uh, yeah, fantasy gaming is in a kind of a weird spot in Seattle. It used to be enormous. Like when I when I got into Warhammer, uh, the the this the Warhammer scene was bigger than the 40k scene in Seattle. It was in it was huge, and it it's kind of died out over the years, especially because our games it, the property out here is skyrocketed in terms of you know how expensive it is to run a store, and they've all kind of shut down unfortunately but uh which has left us for the kings of war community without really like a, a central hub to try to grow right it's you know but so we've been playing out of people's houses uh which leaves me playing <laughs> pretty much uh my my you know long-term friend ryan munsell every week forever <laughs> but uh yeah <laughs> we we have we have a few other people but they're very a hit or miss about whether they're actually going to come and play uh, any game, let alone Kings of War, which is, you know, a mass battle game. Yeah, the, the Ryan, Ryan's no no slouch, right? So it's not as if you're not getting a challenge every, but it is the same person every. And we, we, we've also talked about, you know, we always talked about the fact that if you're not playing in public, then the game doesn't grow. It's great mm-hmm. to play with your friends, but it, it misses that ability for someone to come over and say, hey, what's that? And suddenly exactly. you new players, right? And that's one of the problems you have, um, particularly in the pandemic era when no one can play in mm-hmm. public, right? Yeah, I, I used to actually drive down uh, to a town called Issaquah, which is uh, quite a bit of a drive. Just because, like, for example, where I work is about eight blocks away from the freeway, and it takes me an hour to get there. And there's no public transit in Seattle. So <laughs> it's it's a bit of a drive to go anywhere. But I used to go down there, and I ran a Kings of War night there for probably a year and a half and i got maybe two or three people to play the game at all like people would come and look at it right but it's it's very difficult to get people to invest in this game when you're not when you when you don't have a core group at that store right like the people that show up every day that play it yeah you need the kind of that that the mass don't you kind of a yeah. critical mass <clears throat> of players really to start building it just takes an enormous amount of time so, exactly. so what are the what are the Warhammer population playing? Do they just stop playing? Do they go and be proper grown ups like horrific people? Or <laughs> uh, the, I, I I know that a lot of the people who enjoyed Eighth Edition Warhammer now play Age of Sigmar, which is not particularly surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, I think the games are pretty similar, but the rest of it, yeah, they've mostly given up or they've moved on to other hobbies. There's a the uh, the Seattle area has a lot of outdoor activities to do. Uh, it's you know it's a gorgeous area, so a lot of people just sort of defaulted back to that, um, and you know some of them just moved away. Like you know you just get attrition that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, embarrassingly, the only thing I know Seattle for is is Cheers. So oh, not Cheers. But yeah, what's Cheers? Wasn't it Cheers and Fraser? Fraser. Right. That was Cheers. Wasn't Cheers? Wasn't Seattle? Where was he? 
Yeah, you know what? Chicago. Yeah. Anyway, so you're so you're part of a club, a gaming. Is there a club that goes? Oh, you just kind of a lone warrior, Ronin. <laughs> I've, I, I'm definitely more of a, a lone wolf. I don't like joining clubs. Uh, I'm in <laughs> quite a, I'm in quite a few of them. Now, hang on. I do know something about Seattle. It's full of hipsters, and that is the most hipster thing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know. It's it's definitely a personal foible where the second someone turns it into a club, I'm like, ah, my fear of commitment is kicking in. I gotta go. <laughs> But yeah, there there are um, there, there is a there is kind of a club up here in Seattle, which is uh, again run by Ryan Munsell, who is the chairperson for the Pacific Northwest region for Masters, and it it sort of revolves around that, right? Like trying to get people to come out and. Uh, but again, unfortunately, there isn't really a game store to go to. Uh, we do have a gorgeous game store here in the Seattle area. It's actually in Bellevue, called uh, Mox Boarding House. But unfortunately. They are a uh, they're Magic the Gathering like, and I don't mean that in a small way. I mean they have huge, gorgeous game stores that they've built just off of their online Magic sales. So they are very Magic the Gathering. So it's hard to like show up and be like, we'd like to take a bunch of four by six areas up, and they're like, yeah, that sounds normal. All right. So th- there are gaming clubs up here. There's definitely one in C- or in Portland. Uh, which is very big, called the Ordo Fanaticus group. They they play a wide variety of games and run a clubhouse and all. You know, you pay dues and they run a a big multi multi system tournament every year or event every year. So there are clubs. I'm just not part of them. <laughs> so, so what events do you get out to? I mean, from following your channel, we know I know about a few of them and stuff. But what's kind of your your range is relatively limited, apart from your uh, your once in a lifetime trip to Masters this year. But what kind of what kind of events do you get out to? Uh, yeah, I, 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 there are a couple events that the Portland people run, and I, I try to make it down there as much as I can. Just because, like, uh, the Rose City Rumble is run by Dan Wright. I try to make that. There's a few run by Dustin Church. Like, Wildwood, I think, is the two-day one, and I unfortunately don't go to that because it's right next to Rose City Rumble, and it's a little expensive for me to go down to Portland twice in, like, a month time. But I, I go to some of the other ones that he runs. He runs so many, I don't even know the names of them anymore. <laughs> but I try to get down, down to those. There are a couple in an area called Tacoma, which is about an hour drive from where I am, you know, without traffic. So it's about 60 miles. And uh, that's run by R.J. Dunham or Durnham. I can't remember. Yeah, I'm going to butcher that last name. But <laughs> I try to make those. Uh, I, I, of course, go to Ryan's events up here in Seattle, and I'm running the Emerald Dragon GT. Obviously, it's online this year, but that used to be run by by Tom uh, Millard, and now I'm doing it. Nice. That's about it. Something for a, for a joiner to do is to take responsibility. You must be uh, shouldering that burden reluctantly. <laughs> I yes, <laughs> that's true. So, how did Mantic Games get in your radar in the first place? How did you know? I can't, did you say already how you first heard about Kings of War? No, uh, it's it's actually interesting. When 8th edition Warhammer came out, uh, my gaming group hated it. Uh, they're, they're very competitive uh, gaming gaming mindset. So when a rule set came out with, you know, do whatever you want and giant spells that blew up everything, we were like, ah, I don't know about that. But uh, and one of one of the gaming group was just like, hey, have you seen this game Kings of War, right, that you can use your Warhammer models in? They'd done the first Kickstarter and we're trying it out. And I was like, yeah, OK, I think I'm just going to go play War Machine instead. So, you know, I, I, I heard of Kings of War. I knew what it was, but it wasn't until the second edition came out after 
uh, after Warhammer blew up. And that's when I really gave it, gave it its go, right? Uh, I got to get in right when Uncharted Empires, I think, was doing their beta tests. Uh, and I, I, I was like, yeah, I like this. I like this game system a lot. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until actually I started the channel that I got to play regularly before it was just sort of like, you know, looping one of my game store contacts into playing a Warhammer game with me using Kings of War, right? Rule set. So yeah, that's about it. I will say that Alessio writing the rules it was like the big draw for me because uh, I love uh, Alessio Cavatari's rule sets. So have you seen any of his, his new stuff with, um, I forgot the name of his company. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't remember it either. <laughs> I don't remember either. I, I listened to him. He just um he goes on Paint All the Minis occasionally and does interviews there about what he's doing, and uh, it's kind of interesting. The direction he's gone is is quite different. I think uh, it's more skirmish style, away from the Kings of War kind of uh, elements. Yeah, I, well, I think that's just sort of the way the the industry has gone, right? The majority of them are people are interested in these smaller scale. Uh, skirmish battles. Mm. So, what was it you liked about the Kings of War rule set? What kind of what you know was it the fact that it was kind of like what Warhammer should have been? Is that kind of where you know what what drew you in? It's it's interesting that you that you say that it's kind of like Warhammer uh, because a lot of people say that right. A lot of people view this game as the Warhammer refugee game. Uh, I don't really. Besides the models uh, and the similarities of, of you know orcs and goblins and all that, the game plays a lot more like War Machine to me, which is a game that I absolutely adored. So when I started playing Kings of War a bit more competitively and realized that it's mostly just a peace trading game, right? Everything is supposed to die the second it gets charged by, you know, something that actually deals damage. I was hooked, right? It's it's super simple. Uh, it's clean. And yeah, that's what I love about it. Yeah, I, I only say that because that's what people say. I never played Warhammer, mm-hmm. so I have no idea. I literally <laughs> sure, don't have yeah. the first clue. Um, cool. So, what armies do you come with? I, I, you know, I know that you play ogres. I know that you have uh, obviously a massive empire of dust force. You played. You haven't played Ratkin for a while, though. I have to say. I mean, speaking as King Ratkin, that's not on. Come on, you need to get them rats out again. Come on. Uh, actually, I gave away that army. <laughs> it's gone. It's gone. Oh my I, god, you are dead to me. No, continue. Well, here's here's the thing. I actually do have enough. I have. I I have infinite Skaven models. <laughs> I have a lot of them. I just the, all the painted ones are gone, so I don't like to feature it on the channel too much um, because it would just be, oh, it would be, wall, it would be wall to wall gray. That's a, a, a bridge too far. Since when was uh, featuring unpainted armies a barrier to anything featuring on your channel? At one point, you had a Coke can for a piece of terrain. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that's well, it was a Carnifex, but don't worry about that. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's I, I play quite a few armies. Uh, I back when back when I played Warhammer, I like to jump armies. And when I played War, everything I play, I just jump armies. And specifically when Warhammer died, a lot of people just gave me their collections. So like my collection was, you know, like a specific 2000 point army. And then someone else was like, here's a box of whatever. And I'm like, oh, OK. So now I have these massive forces uh, so I can field pretty much anything I want, provided I can find the model. <laughs> but uh it, i i am trying to move towards uh towards the mantic forces i i really enjoy where their model range is going now and it's it, it's it's kind of weird because on on the one hand i'm like oh, i love all these vanguard models right but on the other hand i'm like i wish they released like a full box of these as opposed to like the i, I think they're the new um the dwarf clansmen that came out for northern alliance and vanguard uh, I love the models, but there's only three poses and they come out to like $7 a model. And I'm like, how are you? <laughs> I would love to like build a dwarf army that's based around that. Right. But, you know, 
Uh, but the the rest of it's interesting. I think it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because the company is obviously it's it's kind of a a crucial point really in its growth, isn't it? Whereby it's achieved some mainstream success. Let, let's face it, it's, it's a, a popular game. But mm. I think if you look at say Kings of War Fanatics as a barometer, there's maybe ten thousand, eleven thousand players worldwide for that compared to the millions of Games Workshops, right? So they're at a point where they need to expand, but they're still a very small company. So there's twenty odd employees worldwide. Mm. So I think it's really interesting because there's a hunger for it and people want to do it. But really, for them to be able to step up and be able to deliver the volume of miniatures that they theoretically need to meet that demand, like big army boxes and stuff, it's a huge step forward for them. So they have to pace themselves. Plus, while Kings of War is, I think, it's their main paycheck, they're still trying to build their IP in other areas on a constant basis. So mm. big portions of that company are doing like Hellboy, Hellboy, the role playing game or, you know, the Walking Dead stuff. Right. So, yeah, I think I think a lot of people make the mistake of comparing them to Games Workshop too much in terms of mm. uh, company. Right. From a fiscal standpoint or from a marketing standpoint or a production standpoint, while they're more I, I like to compare them more to companies like Corpus Belly which produce Infinity, which is about the same size. It's, you know, based out of uh, Spain. And so I look at their production ability and sort of what they've done with their limited resources. And granted, they're not creating these, you know, mass mass battle games, right? The Infinity is a rather small game. But at the same time, it sort of shows you, like, even a small company can produce model quality if it it makes that a priority, right? And I think Mantic has shown that. Uh, recently, as you said before, they're they're going through a bit of a change where before they were going, we sell cheaper Warhammer models. Now they're going, we sell Kings of War, right? We sell specifically our goblins, our whatever, right? And uh, I, I'm I'm eager to see, you know, once we uh, get past the the bad part of this pandemic, sort of where they go with their with their Kings of War line rather than just a smattering of Vanguard models. Like that two-player starter box that they, I, I think they've announced with the goblins and ratkin. I think it's supposed to be. Uh, I'm, I'm really eager to see what, what comes out of that because those models are looking excellent. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah, really looking forward to that. Although, obviously, I'm not looking forward to painting anything ever again. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is your, what's your current, oh, your next army project? What's what you, you dipping into your boxes of models? What's the, the next one on your list to kind of spruce up? I suppose. Uh, I've, I've been actually uh, the next project I want to do is a Mantic army. I want to do something that's a, that's fits that 90% uh, rule, even though I'll probably never go to Adepticon. I had to, I had to group fund my trip to, uh, to US masters. So, but I, I do like the idea of having, I, I want a Mantic army. I run uh, a YouTube channel. I have a visible presence, right? Uh, and I would like that to at least sometimes be Mantic models, right? Yeah. Um, and it, I've been trying to go through, I actually do have a bunch of Mantic Abyssals, which I think are a pretty good range in terms of their older sculpts. Um, so I might do something with that, although I do love Empire Dust and I've been going, I, I, I asked for some test skeleton models and, uh, one of the locals, again, RJ, uh, Durnham, Dunham, <laughs> I can't remember, uh, but he sent me just a box of Empire Dust skeletons for me to mess around with and sort of see if I can, you know, uh, uh convert them a little bit to be more, mo- to fit my style, right? Um, so I, I think one of those two directions or, you know, if that, if that goblin box comes out anytime soon, I might just go, eh, it's all goblins now. <laughs> 
you're such a hobby tart. You're like that. I'll do maybe thirty percent of all of them. How's that? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the way it works. <laughs> yeah, that's what people want. <laughs> yeah. So um, where, so where did you know when did you start your YouTube? It's about two years old now, right? It's about 2018. You started doing YouTube. Mm-hmm. When, why did you start? What, what you know, you're playing all these different games. Why did you suddenly say, do you know what? I'm going to make YouTube for for Kings of War. Yeah, uh, as I said before, I was trying to help grow the community out here, especially in, when you're talking. I think I I started playing in like 2017, really, like hard, or maybe 2016, right before the first Clash of Kings pack. So I think that's 2016, right? But uh, anyway, I started playing very uh, a lot, a lot more Kings of War, right? Like trying to get my weekly game as Kings of War, uh, and I was pushing this local scene, and then I realized that there really wasn't like a uh, an online presence for it beyond Facebook, which is not my favorite, <laughs> not my favorite mode of uh, of of getting influence no. out there. Yeah. So uh, I ended up looking on YouTube. I love battle reports. Uh, I've been, you know, I, I used to make some text ones back in the day every once in a while for, you know, whatever game I was playing. But I noticed that there were really only the two channels that I could find that ran battle reports, one being uh, Andy2D6, the other being Mastercrafted. And neither of them updated regularly. So I was just like, well, Andy did, but he played, you know, more systems back then. So it, it wasn't as, as much of a, you know, here's your Kings of War battle report for the week. And I was like, well, this is sort of a missing niche in the community then. And I, you know, I can do that. So I did. Yeah. So what, you know, what's your elevator pitch for your channel? Uh, you know, how would you define it? If you're gonna... <laughs> Give me an elevator pitch, Riley. All right. All right. So I, I would view my channel as battle reports that you can listen to right like something to do while you paint because i and i know people differ on this but i the, my my main rules for battle reports that i'll watch are no native sound and no watching the dice roll the, both of those are superfluous and honestly distracting and specifically because if you're not just sitting down to watch the report if you're like you know painting or you're cleaning right or you're doing whatever you're doing it's nice to have a battle report where the image stays on that image for a bit so when you hear something interesting you can look back at the screen and sort of see what they're talking about right without having to see it directly in that moment especially because more and more the way that we interact with media is at least dual screen right we're not watching the thing that we're watching we're not totally enveloped right so I would say that that's sort of what my channel is about is uh, when you have a battle report on uh, and you can hear it and listen for the parts that you, you can keep up with it, but you can listen for the parts that you're really interested in. And then you can watch that. Right. You can watch that one image as I try to explain it rather than it happening in a video format where if you miss it, you can scrub back and maybe you don't get it anyway. Or maybe the camera angles weird or uh, a lot of them are shot overhead, which is difficult, at least for me to process. Right. Like your my spatial reasoning doesn't work so well <laughs> from top down. So, yeah, that's basically what the channel is. It's, it's watching someone else play a game. Uh, and being able to follow their exact thought process because they're talking about it shot by shot rather than a fluid motion. Right, and it's I think very few of the YouTube channels actually talk about strategy, actually why mm-hmm. they're making. You know, there's there's a bunch of channels now, which is great, and I'm really happy that there's a bunch of channels. Um, they are of wildly varying quality, but a lot of them are just you know. And then we move forward, and then I rolled a seven, <laughs> and then he lost his proxies. There's none of the reason this is why I'm doing it, which is, I think, why, you, why your channel is really strong. And the other strength of it is its terrifying regularity. 
You know, it's just there is rarely a gap. And there has been a couple of gaps with, with quarantine. And we understand that and why that is. But pre-quarantine, it was the only absolutely regular weekly uh, yeah. event, which I, which I really appreciated as a new Kings of War player. And it kind of really helps you to get that kind of that repetition and to understand stuff. Right. Yeah, well, one one of the main one of the main things beyond just talking about it from a marketing perspective, where you want consistency to build viewership, right? But when when you're trying to, as as a new player, as you just said, when you're trying to sort of understand the game, it's really important that you don't just watch one person play the thing once. You need to watch them in different scenarios and different, you know, playing against different opponents and just rolling different dice, even uh, just to see how that methodology plays through, right? So to really internalize. It. Um, so yeah, one of the best ways to do that is if someone consistently consistently goes through their thought process every game week after week. You can sort of understand how they play and then better understand the advice that they're giving you. Absolutely. So how has the channel changed? Do you think since you started two years ago? You know, have you made any kind of deliberate changes? There's been kind of organic changes that you've gone through, or uh, there have been there there haven't been that many changes, honestly. Uh, mostly due to the, the King's Award doesn't have a very large community and it's hard for me to justify putting more time in than I do to, to affect the changes that I would like to. So I, I still do it the same way. I don't even go through the, the pictures before I start talking. I just try to figure out the battle as I go. So yeah, I pretty much just do the same thing. I, I have not changed it. But I think that's, when you're doing it so regularly, I mean, I know because I do quite a lot of stuff for, for Kings of War, the amount yeah. of time you have to put in to produce something is, is exponentially larger than the time you spend doing it. Mm-hmm. So that just means you know, if you're producing an hour's video, you probably spend two to three hours making that. And that's a huge, even if you're just talking over the top of it, it there's still a lot of time gone into that effort and stuff. And I think for, for you to produce weekly videos of uh, to do any more production onto them would ex- you would understand that that would impact on the time you're you're spending mm-hmm. right so that's very understandable and stuff like i have i have a video that i was uh, as as we're recording this that i was going to release earlier uh, earlier in the week and i've recorded it twice so far and there have been various sound issues like it hasn't recorded it or the video stopped going or something went wrong and when you're recording these long form things you then have to go back through and just do the whole thing again and by the time you get to the third runaround you're like i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to do this anymore right yeah <laughs> so why is it only kings of war that you do on youtube out of interest. You mentioned that before, you know, why is it only, you know, if you do play Infinity on a regular basis, why would you not uh, expand your audience, I suppose? Well, one of the, one of the things about, uh, again, with with influence metrics, you don't want to spread yourself thin that way if you're trying to grow a community. One, my channel is mostly to grow the Kings of War community. I want it to be bigger. Like the Infinity community is healthy. It's strong. So it doesn't need me going in. Not that I particularly think the Kings of War community needs me. It just needs content, right? Uh, and secondly, if, from a personal standpoint, I don't want to do another uh, another games battle reports because you will get more people just tuning out of your channel, right? Fewer people will go, oh, I want to subscribe to this guy because if I start doing like, oh, here's my Infinity game or here's Blood Bowl or here's these other things while still having the small market that I already have, more people will feel disinclined to actually subscribe to it. So that's why. 
Do you think? I'm 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 not sure about that. I think, you know, for example, you take Andy two G six. You've mentioned as an example. He's got like a good several thousand followers mm-hmm. who follow him because of various game systems. So I don't I don't watch his Warhammer stuff because I'm not interested in it. But I'll watch. Right, but that's a that's a critical mass difference. Uh, that that's sort of what I'm saying is that you can pivot. It's the same way like if you watch any any other streaming, right? Like game streaming or or Twitch or whatever, right? Uh, most people when they're growing their their stream, do one system, do one game, right? Because that'll build your core. Once you have a core, you can then branch out and do other things and attract other people, right? But specifically with YouTube, that's around a thousand people. Once you have a thousand regular subscribers, you can do whatever you want. Like you can start going nuts, right? But until then, I mm-hmm. think you should really stay on target, right? Stay with one community and attract as much of that community as you can, and then branch. Oh, maybe. I think in terms of YouTube, just have 40k content. That seems to be the way to grow your mm. channel. Yeah, yeah. Don't. <laughs> yeah, or just do 40k content. Just yeah, skip yeah. all this, right? Do 40k. <laughs> so, what are your tips for any novice YouTubers, somebody who's starting to make their YouTube channel or just you know releasing videos? What would what would you recommend? Uh, the the most important thing to me is sound sound quality, which is a little weird as I record in this echo chamber. But it's uh, sound quality is really 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 important to make your videos look professional because uh, in, in terms of like when you're trying to sell a product or because that's what a YouTube channel is, you need to be present or putting your first best foot forward. So you need to be going. Uh, when I click on this, I don't see something, you know, I don't see annoying flashing lights or, you know, like, again, terrible native sound where I'm hearing the whole game store that you're in, right? Like, the second you get your sound quality down, people will then listen to what you're saying rather than just going, like, I'm just going to mute it and watch the pictures. So I would say that's that's number one. Get yourself a real microphone. They're not terribly expensive. Uh, and work up from there. Uh, you can also... Secondly, I would say, again, on, on the sound front, add music to your battle reports, right? Just uh, put it, you know, whatever you're using to edit your videos probably has multiple audio channels. Drop a uh, a free song in there and drop the gain so it's a little quieter. But you really need that to just sort of fill those gaps or when you're saying um or uh, right? So anytime that there's a gap in the sound or anything like that you need to have this music happening just to keep the flow right uh and then lastly yeah just uh, make sure that you're actually pushing your content onto whatever social media you you can stomach uh that that is the only way people are actually going to find you the way that youtube metrics work will no one will find you <laughs> no one will find you unless right. you're putting yourself out there so you need to be doing that and then lastly, from a content point of view, just find your actual voice. Find the thing that makes you want to play the game and just talk about that. So if even when we just talked about, you know, there aren't a lot of channels out there or one of the things that uh, is attractive about my channel is that I like to go into my tactical thoughts. Right. But if that's not your thing, don't do it. Right. Just do whatever makes you happy. Yeah. If you're not enjoying it, just just don't do it. Right. And that's, I think, the most important thing. Um, so mm-hmm. what, what's the future hold for your channel? Are you going to change anything? You're just going to keep on rolling them out? Where you know you you've, you've spoken about your frustration about the fact that you, you know you did it to grow your community, but the growth is incredibly slow. You know, is there any changes you're going to make? What's the future hold for uh, the Visibly Riley channel? Yeah, there there are uh, quite a few changes that I've been trying to make, but it's it's hard, right? Like it's hard to try to branch out to new content, especially right now with uh, with all the uncertainty in the air, right? So, but I I, I have been 
planning to do a bit more uh, non-battle report stuff on my channel, uh, which might surprise you guys. I actually do paint a lot. I've been painting for a long time, and I could give some tips, right? Or not even just tips, but like just going through some of the Mantic models again that I own and trying to paint those and just, you know, splicing a video together real quick just to showcase sort of what they look like. Because I know a lot of people say that, you know, the, the, and I'm not trying to say I'm definitely no uh, no Angel Geraldes or anything like that. But a lot of people, it's it's really helpful to see alternate schemes or just you know other people painting it in a different way, alternate uh, textures to these models, just to help sell them a little bit uh, on on just the the actual physical product of the game rather than the rule set, right? So that's one of the things I want to try out. Uh, I I really like uh, I also like doing lore. Uh, Kings of War has kind of a, a lack of it, uh, for lack of a better term. But it's, I, I would like to maybe do some lore readings on the channel where I'll just go through, you know, a short story or something like that. Um, and lastly, I would like to actually do some user submitted battle reports where you send me your battle, right? You send me the, the pictures and a quick rundown of what they mean and what you did. And I will just run through what I think is happening in the game. So, yeah, stuff like that would be fun. That would be really interesting and very unique. I've not seen that done anywhere. That would be really mm -hmm. cool. But also the painting stuff, I've got to say, this is it's kind of funny because obviously I, I came across you via YouTube where you had, let's face it, quite a high percentage of unpainted models, right? And then... Mm. And you were always offering painting advice. And I'm like, who's this guy offering painting advice? He doesn't even paint models. What is this bull? And then you recently, I, I've always teased you about it a bit. And you post some of your stuff and it's really good. You know, I <laughs> really, and you're saying, yeah, I'm a commission painter. I, I am actually good. <laughs> but actually seeing some of that stuff, it, it would be really nice to see some of that stuff and, and talking through some of the stuff you did, because I think while there's been an increase in the number of um, kind of expert painting channels that I've got, mantic models on them they're always so expert that i watch it and go yeah well, mm -hmm. i you know i'm never going to be able to do that like, some of the stuff like um the video is called something like super simple way to paint non-metallic metals and you watch <laughs> it and you think he's just like yeah just put it here and you're like that there is no way in hell i can do that and actually what we lack is some of those kind of more kind of like uh this is like a, a normal painter that could do this and actually it's not simple i'm not saying that's that's who you are clearly you're a very very good no, painter. Yeah. but actually somebody who does painting to us to a standard and say this is how you can paint yeah i i agree entirely what my one of my biggest beliefs in terms of painting in, in this hobby is that painting uh painting miniatures is not art it can be Right. Don't get me wrong. There are phenomenal painters out there that are ridiculous. And, and the medium of working in 3D sculpture and mixing and painting is interesting. Right. But what we're doing when we're going to a tournament or we're, you know, going even just down to the club to play a game, we're trying to finish models. So they just look better on the table. Right. It's the whole of the game that you're improving, not just this one model. So when I look at these bits of painting advice, one of the things that they're missing, and I think that you're you're touching on, is how do you get the army done? And I don't mean, you know, how do you dip an army, right? Like how do you how do you get through your infantry, make them look nice, right? And you know, get them on the tabletop, get them out into the game without, you know, again spending four hours a ghoul, right? So that's it, uh, yeah, I, I agree entirely that one of the things missing specifically from the the painting realm uh, um, outside of 40k because there's a ton of painters out there that just do their you know like this is how you quickly paint your model but 
in in Kings of War is it's a little bit different because you're painting so many more models and there's a different compositional uh, thing you have to think about, which is multi-basing, right? It, it's the unique part of the system in terms of aesthetics. So, yeah, I think stuff like that is really important. And, um, you know, I, I do do it. I'm not saying I do it the best or even that I do it well, but I'd be willing to throw my, you know, my my hat into the ring and help people start out. Absolutely. You just said a bunch of things that I really agree with, but particularly around, you know, starting the beginning where you said, you know, you don't believe in that painting models is art, although it can be 100% agree. And one of the things that you said it quite a while ago, and I was just like slamming the table, I agree with this. It's application of technique is what we're doing, right? It's Mm -hmm. it's learning about um, how to apply paint to a model to somebody else's art, because I think modeling that model in the first place is definitely a form of art. But all you're doing is painting it up. Right. And it's an application of technique and it can look nice. But all you're doing is playing. You're like one of those people that's sitting uh, by a roadside churning out the same painting again and again and again and again and again. Right. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of technique. It's nothing artistic about it. Now, there are people who are doing extraordinary things. People like Chris Walsh, who just, you know, I I look Mm -hmm. at him and I just like this is this is insane creativity. And you see this beautiful creativity. And I think that's where it steps into that kind of artistry. But the ability to apply technique consistently quickly to a large number of models and multi-base it to get a youtube tutorial how to do that you're going to have to watch at least five to ten different videos from different people to get that there's no consistency pulling that together right yeah or or even again what we were talking about when when we were talking about battles right uh one of the things that's important about painting tutorials is following someone who does it a lot right or and not just that they paint a lot that they do the tutorial multiple times so you can see and get a feeling for their rhythm right so when you're copying it you understand when you know they're maybe not explaining what they're doing well enough but you've seen it enough times that you understand what they're doing right yeah get on with it I I'd love to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds really good, really, really good. So, in terms of your your back catalogue, you know, your two years of videos you've got there. Do you have any favourite videos? That if someone's like, I've never heard of this visibly, whatever he's called, guy. What should I check out? What 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 are your favourite videos? What are the good a good example of the stuff you do? What you're proud of? You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, I would say there is a video series for there. There's two tournament series that I really like. One was the emerald dragon from last year i i think is a pretty fun watch and then i i wish i remembered i i always call it clash of clash because there was a point in time where all the tournaments in the seattle area in the pacific northwest of seattle portland idaho uh were all named clash of something and so i just called them all clash of clash uh but uh the one it was from two years ago with emerald dragon that i i really enjoy that series is when i played my ratkin uh, and that one is just a total trash fire of a tournament where I'm just pushing walls of guys forward. And it's super fun. Uh, at least it was fun for me, right, to go back through those games <laughs> because they're all kind of weird. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I would, I would watch those. Uh, I think those are good examples of what I do in my channel. Um, you could also watch my my U.S. Masters thing. if you're. I, I do some long-form videos, too, where I go, like, several hours and just explain multiple games. And that would be a good series for that if you're if you're interested. Although not if you actually want to see many photographs, because uh, oh yeah, no, <laughs> someone I'm not I'm not pointing any fingers, but uh, someone got absolutely wrecked and took like one photo per game, <laughs> multiple games. I, 
I still remember I I uh, I was on After Dark listening to a a battle. I can't remember who he was playing, but I was listening to Keith Conroy play a UB game, right? And I I had walked away from the table and came back, and I'm like, oh, what are you guys talking about? And he was like, I was just talking about how I played him round one of Masters, and he was like, I could smell you coming because I just had <laughs> I just had a cup where the after the the night of debauchery, uh, I decided some hair of the dog would do me. Uh, and I went down to to uh, Dan Wright in the the Portland guy's room, uh, poured out the remaining fifth of bourbon into my glass, and then Dan Wright was just like, "Hey, come here for a minute," and just started tipping a handle of Everclear into it. And then I went to game one, and uh, then it's all kind of a blur. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you were playing a uh, Trident Realm, right? Was that was it Trident? Oh Realm? yeah, definitely. Uh, I was playing Night Stalkers. Uh, oh, was but it? <laughs> But they're basically Trident Realm. Where did they get Trident Realm from? I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, Night Stalkers, right? Yeah, yeah. You don't actually play Trident Realm. I knew that. I watch it. I Trident. don't. It's all fine. Yeah. I play against them a lot, so they do mm. feature in quite a few battle reports. That's probably where I'm getting it from, yeah. Cool. Mm. So it's fair to say, now, I, I've called this section uh, Riley's Soapbox. So, mm. yeah, you're you're pretty well known for taking a stand on various topics and uh, a little bit of a grandstand. And I always enjoy using your channel as that kind of soapbox to, to uh, talk about your favorite topics. So here's the opportunity to impart your wisdom to the podcast audience. Mass- audience and I, and I'll, I'll try and offer a counterpoint if I could be bothered. Um, so mm. I, I present with great joy the Visibly Riley soapbox. Uh, please take it away with your first topic. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't, open it up with my thoughts on the cursed high priest i mean i will not shut up about this thing <laughs> uh which is just that the cursed high priest it, it it bothers me mostly and i've talked about this with a lot of different people with a lot of different backgrounds including my uh doting girlfriend who absolutely hates the cursed high priest because i won't shut up <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's really interesting to me just from my balance standpoint because undead and empire dust are so similar right because they Empire Dust is basically just a theme list for Undead that Mantic makes models for, so it's a it's a core list. And it makes it so it's easier to see when something goes wrong, right? Because there's a direct uh uh opposite, right? There's a there's a direct other faction with almost the same units, but better. Right? And then when I look at that cursed high priest, I'm like, what is wrong? Why does this not have a spell? It's I think it's eighty-five points. Comes with no spells, and then they all cost 30 to 35 points, right? For like a heal five or a drain life seven or surge eight, which are all good, right? But you're, you're making a wizard that's uh, super expensive and then isn't good in an army that requires wizards, right? Like I did the math once and Empire Dust literally pays more per point of surge than any other faction in the game, bar elves, who the rule committee has actively stated that the tree herder does not pay for its surge. Right. right. So if you ignore that, then, yeah, the Empire Dust pays the most per point for surge in an army with one unit that doesn't shamble. <laughs> right. That is a problem. Isn't that the point, though? Right. I, I can't imagine that's the point because again, undead have the exact same units or the or very similar units, right? They don't have enslaved guardians, but they have whites, so yeah. But they they have a very similar problem, except they get all the tools, right? They get a fifty point caster with surge six, and they get a lich king, which is just I don't know, like I think ten ten fifteen points more expensive than the curse high priest and better in every way, and again comes with a spell. Isn't the problem more with the fact that undead are ostensibly broken? than the Empire of Dust aren't. Well, we could actually move away from Undead and talk about Forces of Nature, which I doubt anyone would call broken. 
uh, and the Glade Glade Walker, the big druid, the Glade Walker druid. Uh, that thing costs five points more than the Empire Dust Curse High Priest and comes with heal four that can be exchanged for Surge eight for free. Granted, the difference is that they both inspire, right? The Curse High Priest is fearless and has the reanimator rule, which is actually a pretty good rule, but it's, it's not worth that many. It's, it's not worth what they pay for it, right? They should come with a spell and probably cost a little bit more. Right. If they were, you know, 90 or 100 points and came with Surge 8 or came with Heal 5, I would probably be absolutely fine with them. So I wonder, is there is the thought process that went into the rules committee when they were designing that? Is that because in version two, we know that Empire's Dust, is, the surge was the, it was the strongest surge force that I was aware of. Right. They were super, super good with surge. And that was their mm. main strength. Um, so like you say, you know, all of their units are surgeable. Therefore, and they have, you know, they have a free surge off of one of the key units that everyone just bloody takes because it's so good. Um, mm. Is it the point to restrict, to actively restrict that surge because then it runs the risk of becoming too powerful in the way that Undead has? Sure, I, I agree with that entirely. But what you could do instead is introduce, like what they did in version two and continued in the version three with Forces of Nature was make the Forest Warden have surge three. If you had a unit that just had a small bit of surge, right, if you had a cursed priest that was some sort of, I don't know, buff unit or whatever, and just had a small amount of surge, it would be fine. Because generally speaking, you want your surge to be one inch. And if the problem was them going, well, we wanted to be one inch because you haven't hit critical mass of surge, right? You can't send your uh, your enslaved guardians 40 inches yet. And you go, cool, then don't allow me to do that. But don't hamstring the army when there's a direct other army that you could play instead or two armies that do the same concept but better especially if it's the core identity of the faction right right right. so that that's more my point like if 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 they had a small i I think the the better fix would be sure the cursed high priest should probably have a small adjustment but the bigger thing is just that they don't have that small unit that has surge Right. Like there's a reason why the undead ASB with the Tome of Darkness is one of the best buys in Empire Dust. And it's just because they pay too much for a search. I, you know, you clearly have a point and, and I don't think anyone would disagree. Yeah, I think that it does suffer from the comparison to undead. Uh, so I'm really interested to yeah. see what happens in the campaign slash partial clash of kings book that's coming out at the end of the year what kind of small measures have been in that should be a very mm-hmm. interesting time all right so cursed high priest down what's next on the on the <laughs> list of papers that we're hammering to the church door sure uh this one is is less of a rant but it's just to um talk about things that i wish i had known when i when 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 i started wargaming right like things that i wish i had just done right just bit the bullet and finished out right and the number one is in terms of painting right if if you want to finish your models just buy an airbrush buy an airbrush buy the setup no one or very few people that can afford this hobby shouldn't invest in an airbrush you can get a simple setup for about a hundred dollars that includes a a decent airbrush a compressor and a spray booth so you know you're not inhaling nonsense all the time but it is so helpful to at least lay down your primer and lay down some base coats right onto your model maybe even a zenithal highlight to really uh, add some pop right and it makes things go so much faster and if you're having problems finishing your units finishing your armies that's the number one thing that you need to invest in to finish this up. Stop using those rattle cans and just get the airbrush, right? That's the very first thing I would say you should be doing. 
And then secondly, again, on painting, because I think painting armies, which, you know, you might notice from my channel, I, I don't necessarily finish an army. And when I do finish an army, I immediately put it in a box. So <laughs> if you're, <laughs> well, if you're looking to. Yeah, exactly. If you're looking to finish an army. Right. I would really recommend that you just work on that. It's done. Right. The best the best paint scheme is done is is a good uh, axiom to live by, which is there are always going to be small things that you wish you had done differently. And sure, if, if you're working on that one passion project, right? Yeah, it, it should be to the best of your ability. But there does come a point in any project for anyone where you just go, I just need this to be done. Right. And there are several different ways you can work on that. Uh, one of the ways I did it with my Night Stalkers, because I painted the whole army, I think, like a month and a half before Masters, besides a few pieces I had done before. Uh, and one of the things just to break up how you're doing it, like I painted my soul flares by just using sequential dry brushing, just because I was like, I just want to do something that doesn't it's not going to take a ton of time. and is completely different from my normal paint paint style just to help me continue the army. Right. Anything to keep it moving. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that, that's about it. Mostly just, uh, some, some quick paint tips on just getting your army out there. Right. And, oh, I would say lastly, if you're afraid of going to tournaments, right? Like there, again, there are people in the Pacific Northwest that do play Kings of War and never go to our events, even though we have small events, right? Because they go, well, I don't want it to be too competitive. Understand that, uh, most areas that, uh, Kings of War played in aren't dojo. Right. We're, we're, we don't care too much. And even those guys, I can tell you right now, if you get them on the table, you're mostly just going to be drinking uh, and, you know, playing out your game. And, you know, like you can play a tight game without it being hyper competitive. Right. Kings of War, I would say, is is often and best played as a game of intention where you discuss with your opponent what you're doing and how it works. Right. That's the important part. Absolutely. So, yeah. I think I'm, I think dry brushing is making a resurgence. To be honest, people have been quite snobby mm -hmm. about dry brushing as a technique for quite some time because it's so it's so basic, right? And it was always edge highlight with and then wet blending all that kind of stuff was kind of the on vogue way to do it. But I've seen some really beautiful armies done recently with purely dry, dry brushing. See who does Martin? Mm -hmm. um, uh, what's his name? Martin Thurwell from Mantic. I was I was in Mantic mm -hmm. headquarters. I, I can't even remember why. And he was like, do you want to see my new, my new nice talk as I painted? I'm like, yeah. And he went, oh, this is really nice. How did you do that? He, and everything I pointed at, I was like, that's good. He was like, yeah, it's just dry brushing, just dry brushing. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just uh, people look down on it, but, you know, try it out. It's actually, it's bloody easy. It's the first technique you learn beyond a wash. And actually, it's more than sufficient for tabletop armies, I would say. Yeah. And, and, as, a, and as a quick note on, on, you know, paint theory is that contrast doesn't just mean color and tone, right? It's not just about, you know, like red contrast well with green or black and white. It's also about texture and finish of paint. So if you're working some, like, if you have, let's say, again, skeletons, and they have, you know, their, their nice smooth shields, and then they have their, you know, nice cloth, just try dry brushing the skeleton part and then going back and layering the shields because you'll create a nice contract between the, the contrast between those two objects just by actually speeding up your painting. Yeah, if you're not dry brushing skeletons, you're doing it wrong. That's what I would say. But, you know, <laughs> I, I don't dry brush skeletons. Well, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> and I would say about airbrush, I, 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 you know, I like the idea of I have an airbrush. I have one. Um, and my wife very kindly bought it for me for Christmas, I think a couple of years ago. And I used it on big models. So I used it on like a mm -hmm. fire elemental 
and I did the whole fire rental pretty much uh, with dry, with with airbrushing. I know um, my friend Grant Grant Alexander. He he airbrushes nearly everything that he paints, and it looks great. My problem with them is it's it's a pain in the ass to clean, and switching mm-hmm. paint colors is a pain in the chaff. And I just I just can't be bothered. I'm, I am a lazy man. I'm a lazy human being, and if I could just use a spray can, it's a much it's a much yeah. I was just going to say, that's actually a really good point. Um, one of the things I think people mess up with airbrushes is that they think that it will speed up their process, right? They're like, oh, I'll go so much faster if I use an airbrush. Nah. You won't unless you paint enough things, right? So when I'm airbrushing, unless I'm doing something real quick, right, I will set up everything that I'm going to be like, I'll, I'll clean up, I don't know, two regiments of whatever. And then I'll get down to priming them all with my airbrush because then it's significantly faster than anything else because I'm including my my clean time. But my clean time is the exact same for one model as it is for 40. So nice tip. I like it. And do we have do we have a final a final rant topic? Uh, I had one, and I have completely <laughs> forgotten it. Give me, give me a second. Um, was it narrative? Oh. Was it alignment? Was it, uh... it, it? Oh man, I would love to talk about that, but that's that's a whole. <laughs> that's too much of a rant. I've already uh, ranted at Jake about his rant. I've been in, in the Dash Twenty Eight channel. I'm like that. I've got an issue with you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. I I, I love. I, I will say very quickly on on alignment uh, that axiomatic scales are are bad. They they teach us the wrong things in gaming, and one of the problems in the gaming community is that we have a problem with empathy, right? And specifically our empathy for people that are different from us because we are a rather homogenous group. Uh, so I will say that believing in good, evil uh, races is problematic for me, and I've disliked it the entire time. But that's all I'll say on the topic. I've just Googled axiomatic scale. I still don't know what it means. <laughs> what does it mean? <laughs> Uh, ax- <laughs> Let's make sure that I'm not about to make a fool out of myself. Mathematical uh, scale it, theory studies the inner symmetry studies of a. I don't think that's it. What's an axiomatic scale? I, it, it just means self-evident. Oh. So when when you, um, yeah okay. yeah so exactly so anyway to to move on to the the last rant that I have yes is sportsmanship and specifically sportsmanship scores which are worthless. <laughs> I don't like I don't like sportsmanship scores at all. And to preface this, the if if I go to a tournament, right? Like I'm I'm not saying I'm not the most competitive player at this point. So uh, when I go to a tournament, I don't expect to win. But what I'm going for the tournament is best overall. If I were given the choice between being the U.S. Master and the U.S. Paragon, I would choose Paragon. I don't want to be the Master over. Being like, I don't understand why you would want to be the best in battle when you could be the best at everything. <laughs> so uh, that's that's I, what I think is is really important in this hobby. And specifically, the sportsmanship scores. Uh, I I spent so much time in Games Workshop systems where they really pushed, uh, especially back in the '90s and the early aughts in the U.S., they pushed these sportsmanship scores that were. The idea of like, did you have a good game, right? Did you have a fun game? And the number of people I know that would vote you down just because they didn't like your army, right? So like, imagine if on day two, I know I'm going to play Steve and Steve is bringing a war engine list, right? So six war engines. And I go, I have not met you yet, but I'm going to vote you down on sportsmanship because that does happen. So I'm not a big fan of, of that sort of sportsmanship scores. I think that sportsmanship scores should be a question of 
standard civility. So like, did your opponent show up on time? Did they bring all their dice, their blah, blah, blah? Did they have a list, right? And that's about it. If you have a problem with someone during a game, which is, you know, something that does happen, that should be solved either at the table or with a judge. And it should be one of those systems where you go, if I have to come back here again, you're out, right? It should be the bare minimum that we're expected to be nice to each other. The bare minimum. Everything else is gravy. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because we don't have what we have. So we do have sportsmanship scores in the UK, um, but it typically it's vote for your favorite game right and and mm-hmm. count, there is no overall everything is always only battle right so we'll have a separate paint a separate sports and a separate battle and there's no paragon there's nothing overall anything like that and typically the sports is you vote for your favorite game and that person gets a separate prize at the end and that's it it, it means nothing else but we've talked quite a lot about this about why there might be such a focus on the tripartite you know sports paint battle in the u.s as opposed to anywhere else where it really isn't a thing and i you know i don't know if there's something about because essentially a sportsmanship score is there to stop people being a right you don't want to come to a tournament and play someone and have them just be all up in your face and be so hyper aggressive and and treat you badly right you want to have fun so really it's just a deterrent to say be a nice person I've never been to a tournament and had someone... Actually, I know I have once. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I've never had anyone explicitly just be unpleasant at the table. And I wonder if because of the volume of players in the US, whether it's just more of a thing, because with a higher volume of players, there is going to be a couple of bad eggs. Yeah. I mean, you also you also just have very... A lot of people, especially uh, UK players I know, and I don't mean in Kings War, and I don't mean specifically you, but do underestimate how large the United States is. Uh, in terms of geographical dis- uh, distance and difference in lists and the way that we act in games, right? So, like, the way that someone in Seattle or in the Pacific Northwest expects a game to go can be very different from how someone in Texas or someone in New York thinks the game should work, right? And because of those, it, it's very small, you know, minor differences. But when they come from a game that's as tight as Kings of War, it, it can come to a head. And I think that, honestly we're adults so we we need to address that easier now i will say in terms of uh best overall i do think it's hugely important to have best overall in your events and honestly if you don't have it i probably won't go uh and it doesn't matter if you have a best painted that's not really what i'm after because as we said before when you're talking about uh painting uh, painting an army you're mostly talking about application of skill you're talking about technique and you're talking about craftsmanship you're not talking about artistry for the most part right uh, and when you're talking about stuff like that, well, it's sort of a bit of cognitive dissonance to have a painting award that's rewarding artistry and telling people that they should be working on craftsmanship, right? So I like having best overall because it lets you, I don't know, mix a little peanut butter with your chocolate, where if you're a big painter, you're really into painting and not really the gameplay. Well, having a best overall category makes people think about their game more and and vice versa, where if you're mostly a player and you're, and you're going, I want painting, well, or, or you don't care about painting, well, there's a best overall, so you might think about it more, right? And if you're one of those people that goes like, I don't want the winner of the tournament to be the guy who didn't win all the games, rabble, rabble. Well, you determine who was the winner of that tournament to put scare quotes around it. You you can decide whatever you want. You can decide the person who got the countercharger award is the true winner of the tournament. It doesn't matter, right? So it, it, if you're taking away prizes, it's not exactly great unless you're taking away that prize. 
for best sportsman. <laughs> uh, I, I do, I actually do like having best sportsman for as a separate category or favorite opponent, like what you were talking about, favorite game, right? That, that's, that's an excellent prize. I just don't like it being part of best overall because it should be assumed that you're playing at this level, period, right? It, it should be a negative, like, I will kick you out of this event or I will have to warn you or something like that rather than rewarding people for acting normal. And I, you know, use normal in a very normatized sense here where, you know, I, one of my one of my regular opponents that I played for decades at this point is a guy named Garrett. And he is uh, one of the nicest people I know on the table. He's, you know, very forgiving. He doesn't get angry at double ones, unlike me. Uh, so he's he's very gentle, but he's also quiet. Right. He's very contemplative in his games and thus doesn't get very good sportsmanship scores because, you know, at the end of the day, sportsmanship score is mostly just about who's the loudest and telling the most jokes. Right. right. Who's boisterous. So I, I don't I don't like that. <laughs> so I think so, too. I think, yeah, I, I completely I don't, I'm totally on board with you. I think it, uh, if sportsmanship is a popularity contest, then it's just high school and that's not fun for anyone. It's only fun for the person that's popular. Right. Yeah, no one liked it, including the popular people. No one likes it. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, you know, a basic civility score, I don't have any issue with. Um, and, mm. and and for what it's worth, I'm actually I'm actually a fan of overall scores. We just don't do them here. Yeah. For for various reasons, largely because our tournament scene is small, and if there is an sure. overall, there is a suspicion that people just won't, you know, they, people will opt out. Won't go. Yeah. 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 Which is just a. You could do the the. I mean, a lot of regions in the in the U.S. just do best battle is our qualifier. It's how you qualify for for the Masters team. But best overall, um, is is just a prize there, right? You can again, you can decide how you win an event, whatever, right? But having a prize that mixes categories together is really good to get people to try new things, right? To make the game better, to make it look better, to make it play better, yeah. right? I don't, I don't quite understand that. So uh, this tournament that I'm theoretically running in October, it's a very, it's a small tournament because all generally all <laughs> tournaments in the UK tend to be quite small. But I happen to have Daniel Reed and Chris Walsh signed up, <laughs> so two of the best painters in the UK, if not the world, coming. And if I was somebody else, I'd be like, well, I'm not going to bother competing for the best army award then because it's one of them is going to win. I'm like, how the sure. hell do we decide between the two of them? Then? Well, but that's that's a little bit that's a little bit different though because you already know they're you're having a painting prize. I'm going to guess then, mm. right? Like mm-hmm. a like a best painted. Sure. Well, if your if your worry is that these people are going to just dominate the best painted, it's just going to be a duel between two titans while all the mere mortals right sit down in the muck. Well, having a best overall makes it so someone who's more of a regular style painter can just up their battle right, like or or you know a- attempt to up their game in a different way. Right. It's the same reason why I like I like uh, tournaments that have rubrics for painting awards. Um, I'm not saying rubric should, you know, make or break the the top whatever, but I like having rubrics because it tells people exactly what you're looking for, right? Like you're going, this is what I want you to be doing to get, you know, to get more points, right? I want your army to look nice, and that's not necessarily how you win best painted because best painted is a question of like how do you work within those that rule set while also, you know, expressing yourself in an interesting way or you know having a masterful application of technique. But having that checklist does help someone who's going, okay, I'm a I'm a battler, right? Or I'm going to up my battle score, right? Or I want to win a painting award, and how do I get that? It's best overall, so I'm going to follow the rubric, and then I'm going to make my army as as tight as i can and try to win that award right 
Like I, I just never understand the idea that adding an award takes away from people's ability to win awards. Mm. Right. <laughs> no, I think so. I think, it, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And it's something I'll definitely consider next time. And uh, by the way, just in case uh, Daniel or Chris are, are listening to the, I don't think they do, <laughs> but just in case they do, I am super incredibly excited that both of them are coming to my tournament. That's, you know, it's my first tournament I run and I've got these incredible people coming. So I am hyper excited that these guys are coming because i think making it look nice is is a super great thing to do and chris doesn't go to a lot of tournaments as well dan goes to a yeah. couple but chris rarely goes um so i'm to have both of them there for me is just like a huge yeah i mean i'd, I'd be psyched to see that as well like those are <laughs> those are some awesome looking armies or at least models i don't think i've ever seen chris post an army but uh i i've loved all those models yeah yeah, he was playing um he, at the last um, Clash of Kings. Uh, uh, it was in uh, Manchester. He was playing a game at the table next to me with his Abyssal Dwarves, all the big towers. Have you seen that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's so, right. I have seen that one. And I was I wasn't really I kept on stopping my game to take photographs of his army on the table next to me. And my <laughs> opponent's like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, that. "Have you seen this? this? Is so good. <laughs> it was really I good." I think you. I think. I think you worked that into your battle report, if I remember correctly. It's just random pictures of Chris Chris Walsh's army in the middle of the report. I've also I've also played Dan Reed, and I didn't actually do a battle report. This is the first time I met the guy. We I, we, we met up near uh, in his local gaming store, and I played his mm. high elf army. And I swear to God, I have never seen an army so beautiful close up. It's just <laughs> so clean. It's just, I literally have mm-hmm. no idea how. He, but I I sat staring at his dragon for a good minute. Just going. Oh God, that's good. <laughs> I still want. Anyway, yeah, moving. Yeah, on. that'll show him. <laughs> Painted anyway. all those corpses for me, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. It's all good. So anyway, um, before we wrap up, how how do we follow the adventures of? How do we find the adventures of Visibly Riley to follow? Is it just the YouTube channel? Do we search for that? Is it what are your what are your outlets? Yeah, I uh, well, one, I don't like social media, <laughs> or at least at least in my private life. So uh, you can find me on Facebook because unfortunately that's where the entirety of the Kings War community is, uh, as Visibly Riley. That is my name there. Or you can find me on YouTube at my channel Visibly Riley just by searching that. Uh, you can send me messages or leave comments. I tend to, uh, I at least read all of them, uh, if not reply to almost all of them. So that's about where you can find me. All right. Uh, well, I'm Visibly Riley, and make sure you keep countercharging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.